Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. Sometimes words get used a certain way. We should have teachable spirits. We are want to just assume we know it all. I'm going to use that word a lot, brother. It shall be my custom. If you will. That's a good thing. By the way, unrelated to the message, but if this pertains to you, uh, I'm part Cherokee. Some of you are too, right? I'm not Choctaw. Any of you, some of you are Choctaw, right? Some of you are both. Wow, what a combination. If anybody here is Chicksaw, I didn't say Choctaw. I said Chickasaw. No? Well, forget. Okay. All right. It was an Oklahoma thing. Some Oklahomans are Chuck. Chickasaw, aren't they? Okay. I asked about words because sometimes you hear a word a certain way. When we got to Shreveport, I heard Ray Guernsey say, so-and-so was a sorry outfit. And I always thought the word sorry meant you were apologetic. You said, ah, dude. But sorry, in the Louisiana sense, that I heard, means that you're idiom. Something, something just not quite, you're not quite connecting the dots or, or whatever. But there's a word here in this verse that I heard as a child and it wasn't really fleshed out. Paul writes to Timothy and he says, If I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar of and ground of the truth. Behave. That's an interesting word. I was a grown man before I found out what I'm about to tell you, and maybe you don't know this yet, but next time you're reading in your Bible, look in your concordance if you have one. Try to find the word nice. You ever found the word nice in your Bible? We use it all the time, don't we? That outfit, that, that's nice. That car, that's nice. Your truck, that's really nice. We use the word to mean, hey, that's okay. Hey, that's, that's pretty good. But at least in the King James Version, you don't find the word nice. You know why? Because back in the days of Shakespeare and the King James Version, the word nice, the primary meaning was stupid, foolish, shallow, not much to it. Nowadays, a young man gives a young lady flowers and says, these are nice. And he says, and you look nice. And we just expect that sort of thing and, and we accept it and 
And I'm sure the way we use the word today, that's just polite. But if I don't say something is nice, it's only because I have this awareness. Words have meaning. When words mean nothing, you can say one thing and mean exactly the opposite. And a lot of people are fuzzy-wuzzy on that. You know, some people are talking about being born again. They don't mean having the experience of grace. They mean they joined the church. They mean they've been sprinkled. They say they've had an epiphany. They say they've had this experience or that experience. I knew people my age when I was a teenager says, man, I, I dropped some acid and I've been born again. Uh, no, that's not what we mean. Words should be used the right way. And the word behave is like that. If my mama said, Stephen, behave. Well, you know what? We all behave, but we don't always behave the right way. I think when moms and dads tell our children, tell their children to behave, it means we want you to have certain behaviors. We want you to act a certain way. Have a certain mindset. Speak in a certain pattern. Use a certain tone. There's a way to behave. And I think that's what Paul means when he says that thou know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. I was about 20 years old when Lawrence Crawford said, some people think this means all the little fellows need to have to run up and down in the aisles of the church. That's what it means, how to behave in the house of God. No, it's not talking about a building. It's not talking about mannerisms that uh, maybe can be corrected with just a word of comment. Behave. It's used many times in Scripture. The word behave needs a qualifier. How will you behave? And so we want to learn how to behave. Men and women are encouraged as to follow the example of David. David said in the 101st Psalm, I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. He will have some decorum. He will have some discretion. He has a guide. We have the word to tell us how to think, how to evaluate things. We need to be able to discern. Discernment is important. People are quick to say, you know, Jesus said, judge not. So, to them, anything goes. Why you should not be judgmental? Well, you shouldn't judge somebody's motives. I ought not to judge you, and you ought to not to judge me relative to motives. Oh, he's wearing that tie today. He must be in a bad mood. Or such and such, and, and, and we sometimes jump to conclusions. No, it doesn't mean we can't know the difference between right and wrong. Because in the same chapter, just a few verses later, there in Matthew 7, Jesus said, 
Go cast your pearls before swine. Hmm. How would you know the, the swine from the sheep? You'd have to make a discernment, wouldn't you? How do you know good from bad? You'd go with God's Word. God's Word says you have a home where you have a husband and a wife and they love each other. That's a good thing. You get somebody who cheats on their marriage vows. You get somebody who steals from somebody else's stuff. You may find somebody who will harm somebody else. There's a reason why those commandments are there. So that we have it cut and dry, black and white, to know what is good and what is not good. This world says there's a bunch of gray area out there in the middle. So to them it really doesn't matter so much how you behave. Paul talks about how important it is that we behave. I won't read you the scriptures I've got, but uh, trust me, they're in there. Paul reminds people that there is a right way to behave. Isaiah talks about the rude children. They behave proudly. You might be contemptuous on the inside. You might be presumptuous on the inside, and that's wrong. I think it's doubly wrong when we behave that way. It also speaks of the, the leaders who so often behave wrongly. So Paul's telling Timothy, he's talking to a young preacher, a pastor, and he says, you need to know, and I think by extension every child of God needs to know how to behave in the house of God. Now some well, that means when I go to church, I better... No. If you're committed to Jesus Christ, you should think a certain way. You should feel a certain way. You should speak and act a certain way. By the way, I hope you're prayed up for the Lord's Supper. We put it in the bulletin for a reason, to remind people we don't do this to put on a show. We're not trying to impress anybody. This is not a celebration. This is a memorial. We come together to remember what Jesus did for us. He the willing for us the unwilling. He the able for us the disabled, if you will. Paul went on to emphasize Timothy's role as an example in the fourth chapter of 1 Timothy. I want to read starting at verse 12. You know, sometimes people say, well, if you're young, you can't do much. Paul says, Timothy, don't let anybody let your youth and inexperience interfere with you being the best Christian you can be. How does he say that? Start at verse 12. Let no man despise thy youth. But there's more to it. Be thou an example of the believers. When you think about Daniel, he was the one sharp of But when Ezekiel was talking, in the 14th of Ezekiel, twice he says, 
there are three great examples I can show you. And he talks about Noah! And he talks about Job! They were centuries ago! But then he also brings in Daniel, his young contemporary. Daniel had something going on that was good. He behaved himself rightly, didn't he? Let no man despise thee, but be thou an example of the believers in word. That means what we do here. In conversation, that's what we do here. The way we live. In charity, an example of showing love. We all should be striving to be that way. Preachers especially. In spirit, in faith, in purity. Paul was coming and He's going to want to talk to Timothy in great length, but he says, till I come give attendance to reading. You need to know what God's Word says. Take it to heart. Know what the sense of it is. To exhortation, to proclaim. Thus saith the Lord. God wasn't fooling around when He said this, folks. To doctrine. Some people get spooked when you mention doctrine. Doctrine means teaching. Does the Bible teach anything or not? Yes. Some people, well, you know, it's just different strokes for different folks. And you won't find that in Scripture. You won't find those words. You won't find that attitude. There was a famous man, his name is G.K. Chesterton, and he once said, Orthodoxy is my doxy. And he wasn't talking about doxy and dog. Another man may be heterodox. That means, hey, whatever floats your boat, man. That's the world we live in these days. But to be orthodox means you cut it straight. This is the line that God has put down, and this is the line we should follow. Take it seriously. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy, with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Take your job seriously. Timothy, you're a pastor. Yes, this is speaking first to pastors, but every child of God should understand to take seriously the great calling that we have. We serve the Lord Christ. Paul wrote that to the Colossians, and they weren't all preachers. When you're on the job, when you're Walmart, Anywhere you are, 24-7, you're to represent Jesus Christ. That's sobering. He's with you, but you carry His name. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them. You ought to know what God's take is on a thing. You want to know what you ought to do because you walk in the light of God. And you will stand before God. I will stand before God. That's a very sobering thought. You're going to give an account to God. I will give an account to God. That's a very sobering thought. It's not all just fun and games. Give thyself holy them that thy profiting may appear to all. If you benefit from a walk with Jesus Christ, guided by the Spirit, it's going to help other people. You're going to think about other people. 
You're going to be patient with other people. You're going to cut them a little slack. Maybe more than a little. You can understand and appreciate that we're all a work in progress. Did you know that? I got news for some people. I haven't arrived. And I got news for some other people. They haven't either. We need to know that. Take heed unto thyself. My landlord used to say, don't you kid yourself. Think about what you're about to say. Think about the attitude that's going on in your mind. Think about where you've been and who you've been with. and What message do you put out there? Continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Now some goofballs will, well, you could be saved by having the right attitude. No. But if you are saved, may you have the right attitude. May you have the mind of Christ. May you follow in His footsteps. That's what I mean by behaving. Also in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And we're a bishop here. It's just another name for what we call a pastor. The first two verses. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. It's good for a man to be committed to the cause of Christ. It's good to seek. I've never apologized to be a pastor of the Lord's church. Now there's some things less said the better. I don't brag too much about the fact I worked in a factory making spit suckers. I've done some things just because it was a job I could legally, morally support my family. But I can't say I had a calling to be a Winnicott. I had a calling to do this, that, the other. But the sense of purpose the man who says, eh, might as well be a preacher. Easy job. Really? <laughs> Not if you do it right. That's right. If a man desires the office of bishop, he desires a good work. But there's some qualifications. I'm not going to read all of them, but look at this verse 2. A bishop then must be blameless. Now, that doesn't mean I'm perfect, because you know I'm not perfect. And if you ever think of a man, you said Marshall, you know, he's not perfect. But blameless. I don't have a wanted poster anywhere, legitimately printed for me. You know, we want this guy dead or alive, preferably dead. The husband of one wife, there ought to be something about his word. You ought to live in such a way that he is honoring of his commitments. Vigilant. He's not a goofball. Sober. That doesn't mean only he doesn't get drunk. Of good behavior. Behave takes a qualifier. We all behave. Sometimes we behave badly. Given to hospitality. Personally, I think every Christian ought to be hospitable. But especially a pastor. And then it goes on with other things such as apt to teach. All those things are in the mix. The, the more you read this, 
the fewer you can realize there are people that are really qualified for this calling. And I do believe a person can be disqualified, but that's another message. As I check myself, I know that Paul had a special care because he wrote three letters in our New Testament specifically to preachers. Two to Timothy and one to on the island of Crete there was a fellow named Titus. We call those the pastoral epistles. But for all who claim the name of Christ I want to commend Paul's counsel. How is it that we ought to behave ourselves? Especially if we're members of the Lord's Church. Well, preachers like to do something. We call it alliteration. You remember that word? Alliteration. Starting with the same letter, they're easy to remember. That way the preacher loses his notes. Let's see, it's starting with a. Okay. And these are all A's. No. I got an F. They all start with F. The first is we ought to be. Fundamental. Now that word got a black eye a few years ago, but that just means there are some basic things that we have to say to be Christians. Rebecca's husband, Scott, got a thing in the mail. He always gets stuff in the mail, and sometimes it's from some screwball. And that's what he got this time. It was a fellow who had graduated. He had his undergraduate and a graduate degree from the, I believe it was called the Esoteric Interfaith Theological Seminary. You know what that means? Anything goes. If you want to have a funeral for your goldfish, they'll do it. If you want to get out here and ask a blessing for your garden or something else, they'll do it. The, the kind of a cosmic nothing out there that's being promoted and called God. I saw somebody, they didn't even dare to write out the three-letter word God. They had G-D. It's anything, it's everything, it's nothing. That's not the God of this book. He is specific in what sort of being He is and how He behaves Himself and how He calls us to behave. Especially when it comes to the brethren. Look with me please in uh, 1 Peter chapter 4. We can and should be charitable, but not <coughs> hypercritical of the brethren. There are some people, they seem the attitude, the Lord only really cares and work closely with thee and me and sometimes I wonder about thee. Watch out for people like that. 1 Peter 4, start at verse 8. Above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. God's people are supposed to love each other. For charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging you mean i got to be nice to so-and-so? Well, don't be nice in the sense of being foolish, but be kind. Be compassionate. Be there for others. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another. This isn't written as a pastoral epistle. 
You are to minister to other believers. And other believers are to minister to you. They find out what needs are. They want to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God. God's grace is not limited. It's not a, a telescope. Oh, okay, we're going to focus on this, we're going to focus on this. But no, it's all the time. We should be eager to be as Christ. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth. What's that going to lead to? That God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ. God is glorified when we do the sort of things the Lord would have us to do. God is glorified when we speak words of encouragement. After 39 chapters of basically dumping on the Hebrew people in Isaiah, chapter 40 begins, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people. Oh, if you're just eh about the things of God, the Lord would have us stirred up in our nests. We need to realize that there is a great calling as children of God. It's not the easiest thing in the world. But then on the other hand, if you are grieving over your sin, there is one who forgives sin. And no one ever cared for you like Jesus. The hymn writer wrote that. Did us a, a great service. That God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom be praised and dominion forever and ever. And he said amen. And we do too. So we can, we should be charitable, especially toward our brethren, not hypercritical. But there must be boundaries. There's no common cause with wicked doctrine, with wicked practice. In 2 John verses 9-11, through 11, John is moved to the Spirit to say, if somebody comes to you with some goofy idea that is clearly contrary to the Word of God, don't say, well, you know, we have a different opinion on that. No, they're wrong. God's Word says they're wrong. He says, don't bid them Godspeed. The Lord bless you as you talk about that stuff from the first church of the Holy Pancake or whatever it is. He says, if you say Godspeed, you're saying, Lord, uh, bless them just like I hope you bless me. Really? You have God's word for it. Don't bid them Godspeed. You're a partaker in their evil deeds. When that comes up. You got to draw the line somewhere. We used to have a fellow who'd drop in from time to time. And uh, usually come in right about time church is going to start. And I stepped out of my study and he comes in, hey, how you doing brother? He says, I got a revelation about Jesus. I bet you're going to tell me what it is. Yeah. Jesus was a vampire. I couldn't say, well, you know. Yeah. No! I said, we have nothing to talk about, sir. You've got to draw a line sometimes. <coughs> there are some things I cannot, I will not 
fudge it. No, you gotta stay with the stuff. You want to be faithful. Like we say, are you part of the solution or part of the problem? You need to ask yourself, just like we read 1 Timothy 4, verse 12, be an example. What would it be like if everyone in the church thought like you, felt like you, gave like you, attended like you? Hmm. Hmm. You think maybe there's something to this? You mean there's something I... You, you mean I could actually step up to the plate? Guess what? The Lord doesn't come in the next 50 years. I don't pretend to be a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but I predict with my limited abilities in 50 years, some of us will be dead. Who's going to step up to the plate? Well, I always used to so-and-so doing that stuff. Maybe God is calling you to a serious type of service. Sometimes, you know, in a church there's 100% participation, 10% doing everything, and 90% letting them. Who's going to step up to the plate? I don't know when, but I'm going to die unless the Lord comes first. And so are you. If you're part of the solution, great. But when you're gone, who is going to be able to come up? Moses had Joshua. Paul had Timothy. Do you have someone? Has someone brought someone into your path? Somebody that you can be a blessing to. Somebody that you can be the Elijah to and they're in a life job. You say, well, I don't have anybody like that. Well, maybe that's something you ought to pray about. Pray that someone will be brought into your life that you can be an encouragement to them to be faithful in those things. Not to just be snarky about things. You know, sometimes people describe the wrong motives to you. Sometimes people will kind of put you off and it's easy to say, oh, my feelings hurt. Uh, 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 uh. Romans 12, 21. Be not overcome of evil. Overcome evil with good. When Joseph's brothers came, please don't kill us. Make us slaves or something. And he said, look, I know you have been evil against me, but God meant it for good. <coughs> God is the great overcomer. He is the one who can make the good come even out of what seems like the most horrible. So he says, well, I'm faithful occasionally. The wife who turns to her husband says, I'm faithful to you at least two days out of the week. Or the husband that says that to his wife. The banker says, we're usually good stewards with your money. That doesn't really inspire a lot of confidence, is it? Does it? We ought to be fundamental. We ought to be faithful. It's important. In our words, Jesus said, Matthew 12, you're going to give an account for every idle word. So don't make promises you have no intention to keep. Don't talk about things you don't know what you're talking about. He's not talking just to preachers, but 
He also has something very clear to say to preachers. And I want you to know, this is something that sobers me tremendously. In Hebrews 13, verse 17, some preachers don't get past the very first perk because they think they're a dictator. And they're supposed to just bark out orders and people are supposed to jump. But there is a sense of understanding that God has said in His Word, and it's my purpose to tell you what God has said in His Word. Understanding that I represent Him, but I speak to you and myself. This is a forgotten passage in some churches. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey them that have a rule over you and submit yourself. I don't think he's talking about the traffic cop when he says this. For they watch for your souls. I hope you don't think I'm patting myself on the back when I say this, but I pray for you. If I see things that concern me, I may say something to you, but I do talk to my Heavenly Father. I don't talk about you to other people, but I talk to the Lord and say, Lord, help me to model the right sort of behavior. And when they do something that is moving in the right direction, so you know, because I've come to you personally and said, I've been praying for and I'm glad to see such and such in your life. It's interesting that when John wrote, he says, I have no greater joy about you than to hear that you got a new chariot. No. I have no greater love, greater joy than to know that my children walk in the truth. I want you to know the right thing. I want you to understand more about our great God. Imperfect as I am, I want to tell you and show you how important it is because you will stand in judgment. I will stand in judgment. They watch for your souls as they the must give account. When I stand before the Lord, I don't want the Lord to say, why did He warn those people about how important it is that they spend their time? Well, Lord, I don't want to step on anybody's toes. Why did He warn those people that what they think about, what they cause to enter their minds, where they park themselves, who they work with, how they have opportunities to take a stand for righteousness and encourage them by your example. Encourage them by where you go and don't go, by what you do and don't do. I'm going to give an account to the Lord. It's not just a matter of, well, stand up here and fill some time on a pulpit. No. It's important. Yes, I'm, I'm a failed in many ways, person. But I will stand before the Lord as they that they may do it with joy. Nothing would give me greater joy than say, Lord, you have called many in to your kingdom and you have blessed me with the opportunity to proclaim your word. And sometimes even with my mouth, but with my life. May my life be an open book to show you what the Lord would have us to do. I, I need your prayers. I pray for you. Whether you pray for me or not, I trust you do. But even if you don't, 
I do pray for you. Very quickly, number three, you ought to be fair. Equity is important. You want to do the right thing. Moses uses this for an example in Exodus 23. He said, if you're out here in the woods someplace, and here's your neighbor's ox, but hey, a couple of oxes stuck out in the woods someplace. Well, I don't like that guy. I'll let the wolves eat. No. Even if he's your enemy, you take the ox back. Very fair. The same guy that causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. God does it. Well, uh, you you didn't do such and such. You said such and such. So I'm just going to let you starve. No. When the heathen take a meal, they get that blessing from the same God that blesses us. We need to remember that. We taught in the school once. There was a very indicting poster. It says, it's not a question of who, but what is right. If you come to me or anybody else and say, listen, here's the situation. And when it's clear from the Word of God that that person is right and I or someone else is wrong, the important thing is, what does God's Word say? I want to be right. But I want to have a teachable spirit. And I hope you have a teachable spirit from God's Word. It's not a question of who is right. I don't have to get the last word. Now, I do when I talk to Marshall. Yes, Steve. That's just the way it is. And I sure don't mind. Partiality. Read James 2 and I'll show you. That's a problem. And then the last F is to be flexible. I'm fundamental. I know what's right and I'm going to call down somebody who's a heretic. Well, don't be too quick to use that. You know, we have some people, if you disagree with them on eschatology, nah, write them off. They're an idiot. Isn't it interesting how quickly we can call somebody an idiot because they just happen to disagree with them? Because we're so smart. We're so strong. We're so spiritual. But to have the flexibility to be charitable. Somebody said one of their mottos was blessed and flexible. They will bend, but they will not break. Discernment and discretion are preferable to harsh words. The wise man Proverbs 15.1 said, A soft answer turns away wrath. Maybe you can take a volatile situation and cool it off. Smooth the waters. Somebody comes up to you. Marcia knows who I'm thinking of. I, I got a young lady upset with me once because I reminded her what the rules were about something in the school and she didn't like it. And her papa came to pick her up and he came back and he got out of the car and I could tell he wasn't there to talk about the bowling score. And he walked up, listen! And I listened to him and I smiled. I said, oh, brother, I certainly didn't mean to offend. But I got to tell the truth. Paul wrote to the Galatians chapter 4, he said, Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? 
If I say something just because of my contrariness, well, that, that's on me. But I say, this, this is what God's Word says. Well, you have an issue with the Lord. Your beef is with the Lord. Mine would be with the Lord. If you can defuse the situation, and again, cut them some slack. That judging thing, beware judging someone's motives. But Galatians 6 says, if one is taken in a fault, ye who are spiritual, not the finger waggers necessarily, but the ones who will follow what God's Word says, have the right heart, the right mind, the right spirit. And it says, ye that are spiritual, go with a view to restoration. Not with a view to clobber them. Considering yourself, it could be you next time. It could be me next time. How would you want somebody to talk to you about that? Take those things into consideration. There was a preacher who had quite an impression on me many years ago. His name was George Slavin. I think Marsha met him. And he had an interesting way to talk about love. Because we hear about love like, oh, hearts and flowers, Valentine's Day, and all that. No, love is what should be the norm between Christians. Love is emotion in motion. You don't just think about it. You don't have the best of intentions. No. When you love somebody, you pray for them. Hopefully you pray with them. You want to have an encouraging word. You want to be part of the solution. <coughs> be fundamental about it. Be faithful to the Lord. Be fair. Be flexible. Easy to say. I know. Not so hard to do. But needful. If we can say we have behaved ourselves as we ought to in the house of God.